This is Everything Elite, the world's first and best podcast devoted to all elite wrestling. Nate nodding, throwing me off right in the middle of it. It's Mike. Aaron right now has, there's a huge storm that has hit the Midwest, so he lost power, but it's Mike and it's Nate, and we are going to persevere without him. Uh, Nate, how's it going? I'm persevering, Mike. Uh, yes, I did attempt to throw you off there and make you say that this was the best podcast again. Uh, unfortunately, you did uh, get it back on the rails. Yeah, uh, been pouring all day here. I uh, came home from work and was in a shitty mood because uh, my ceiling was leaking, which pretty reliably happens about once a year, um, but is a pain in the ass. Um, so I was all ready to be in a bad mood. But, you know, I beat a big fight in uh, Yakuza like the dragon. Uh, and then we had a pretty good episode of wrestling television tonight. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm recuperating. I'm recovering. You see, I started like 20 minutes before dynamite. I uh, kicked off night. I started uh lost judgment, the Kaito files. So Is that DLC. Yeah. That's the DLC expansion for lost judgment. Uh, I think Thoros is the one who brought it up in a, uh, but uh, it seems like they might be like soft launching Kaito as the new hero because of all the stuff with Yagami and the Johnny, Johnny's associates and the fact that there might not be a, a series of that much longer. So yeah. maybe it's a soft launch. Maybe it's like one of the backdoor pilots. I have not seen them really use DLC to spin off like that before, but that's what I think we're getting. Hmm. I wonder if I can think of an example of that. None, none jumps to mind. Um, but I do like that. It does amuse me that uh, the dude did not want his appearance in the PC version of the game. Um, I just like, I think that's uh, funny. I don't think he's wrong, except, you know, maybe he he may not appreciate how easy it is to, uh, you know, hack and mod a model in the console right. version either. But, you know, I, I don't exactly blame some uh, pop star for that either. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know what Kaito agency. Is. It's a talent agency that has this. It's not necessarily him. It's, uh, it, it's one of those things. Well, you know, agencies, rights holders, they are very protective of their intellectual property in Japan. And, of course, his appearance, his uh, brand, his immortal soul would be the intellectual property of his agency. So they are just, uh, you know, fully exploiting their assets, Mike. You would think when the leaders of SMAP would get better than that, but apparently that there there's no that there's no life left for a member of SMAP. SMAP no longer exists. So yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. There's one other male pop group that I'm aware of in Japan, but I can't bring their name to mind. I mean, there's a lot of them, so you know. Yeah, we, there's only we, one that I know. Yeah, so maybe I, I could be throwing names at you all night and we wouldn't be getting anywhere with that. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, you if you like the show, the best way to support the show is go to patreon.com slash everything elite. We'll talk to y'all about the Patreon later on. Uh, you can follow the show, follow it on Twitter at everything AEW. Nate is at Epitasis. I'm at Fujihea. Aaron is at Aaron Like the Car. Throw us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the Google Podcasts app. And if you want to find all of our information for Everything Elite, go to Linktree 
slash everything AEW. I almost pulled the Aaron where I called it the link draw. And I think I've said before that I'm not going to do that, but I almost did. Nate. I uh, noticed that. The, I mean, I think both work. I think the either's fine. Linktree just feels more more organic to me. Yeah, but you're fun. missing the the brain synergy with the EE in there. Yeah, I think that's what that's what Aaron was going for. And you see that never crossed my mind until he brought that up. So we're learning all kinds of things. But Nate, let's play elite or delete for this week's episode of Dynamite from Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, for first time listeners, uh, the, this is the part of the show where we pick one thing from each episode of Dynamite that we love that we wanted to say is elite and one thing that we want to delete off the show. Nate, what do you got for us? Uh, so I'm going to go with this little match, this little program they had with Brian Danielson and Wheeler Yuta on this show. You know, the match, a pretty strong show throughout, I really think. Um, the match did not, like, blow me away. It was not like a standout, you know, uh, Brian Danielson top flight kind of match, uh, you know, like his Adam Page matches or his, um, you know, Kenny Omega match or something. But uh, the the growth that we've had with Wheeler Yuta here and the reactions that Wheeler Yuta was getting in this match uh, where I think like a total unqualified success, you know, uh, spend a lot of time on this podcast, basically nitpicking a lot of the little foibles and peccadillos of the booking and the presentation, uh, because we have to have something to talk about. But when you see a guy like Wheeler Yuta, who, you know, is basically like an indie talent best known for working at beyond, you know, he, he this was not a guy who would even reach the levels of like your PWGs or anything. Uh, but it was basically a, a a beyond and then a New Japan strong guy. When you see him basically <laughs> become a quantity uh, and become somebody getting larger chance than Brian Danielson in the course of about three weeks, that's a success. And you have to go, okay, you know, maybe they do some goofy things with the booking. Maybe they rely on some tropes a little too often. Maybe they play the note, the same notes too often. But the big picture stuff, the simple stuff about doing something interesting with a guy, giving you a reason to care about a guy, uh, and, you know, not overthinking it, not overcomplicating it. You know, they didn't get ahead of themselves and have Wheeler Yuta get the big upset here or something. They just have a guy who they want you to be invested in in the future, uh, and they exposed him on TV. They gave him some reps on TV to, you know, show you what he's all about. Uh, and then... They gave him a, a deeper personality and a deeper goal and, and something that he wanted to chase after in wrestling uh, and tied him in with Danielson and Moxley and Regal. And then here on this show, you know, they put him opposite Danielson uh, and he showed why they've trusted to put him in that spot, I think, because he, uh, you know, I, I don't even know that he stepped up in terms of the in-ring work necessarily. I think he's always, I think he performed at about the same level that he typically does. Um you know, every every one of these young guys that they put opposite Danielson, you still always see the difference between them and Danielson. You still just see the disparity in the in the violence there. But uh, I thought his his character stuff, his personality, really shined through here. Uh, him, you know, spitting up into Danielson's face while Danielson is trying to stomp his lights out. What's it called? Kick his head in. Um, 
And then, you know, when he fires up at the very end and the crowd's got the biggest Wheeler Yuta chant going and he's just going primal scream right at the camera. Uh, that's like perfect instincts, I think. Uh, and I think maybe if you had a little bit of a hotter crowd, then that really would have uh, blown up big time. Um, and yeah, you had William Regal on commentary here, I think doing a pretty strong job of putting him over. Um, you know, I don't know. So William Regal on the commentary puts over Excalibur a lot. Um, and, and during the ad break, I think especially uh, Excalibur was starting to talk about the, I don't even know what it is. I don't know if it's a metal term. He said the, the IB band, it's like a muscle part or something. Uh, and he referenced it and William Regal was just <laughs> uh, like overcome with joy that Excalibur knew about this specific uh, part of the anatomy that's affected <laughs> by this whole uh so that when he does that, I'm like, okay, I, I know that William Regal is genuinely enjoying and impressed by this guy. But then you get back onto the televised portion of the broadcast and he's talking about the little things that uh, Wheeler Yuta does in this match. Uh, and I can't, you know, it, it sounds like it could be just as sincere and genuine coming from him there. So I don't know, maybe William uh, or Wheeler Yuta is doing the little things uh, that impress him and impress William Regal and, you know, uh, uh, make a veteran like him take notice, or maybe William Regal is just a you know great worker and great at selling that he's impressed by this kid, regardless of you know whether he genuinely is or not. So uh, I was pretty happy with that whole package. Um, you know, Danielson gets the win in the end as he should, uh, but just another little notch, another little uh, iteration step in this Blackpool Combat Club story uh, that continues to to make it interesting and, and make all these segments, you know, reliably can't miss. Yeah. It, it's something where I thought that this match was the standout match on the show out of a show that had a lot of different kind of matches and different styles going on here. But like, the thing is, is that this is so simply done. Like they, like this isn't too complicated. This isn't going too cute by half. This isn't even going strongly in the tropes that tony khan is interested in this month like there was no security guards getting thrown whatsoever in this it just was effective no, they, they, yeah that was for a different match <laughs> yeah that 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 part of the whiteboard was filled in was already claimed well before this but it was just really effective and it showed like a natural charisma with wheeler yuda that you know if you just watch on tv you haven't seen him have like solid matches on dark or elevation and then more likely or not you know of the name of wheeler yuda if you're somewhat tagged but like tapped into like the greater wrestling world but you might not have watched like beyond or something like that so this was like big performance for him here and i thought that he felt everything felt like so natural and just like timed in a way that like uh the the seatbelt near fall going towards the finish the crowd completely bought into it and mm -hmm. who knows how much like this crowd would have seen wheeler yuda winning matches in orlando based off that move but like they got them into the match now they're like this looks like this could be the big shot here for it and then danielson like after the spit just getting like really just like kicked into the gear of like all right i'm done with this fucker that i yeah. just thoroughly enjoyed like with the Pisaiku kick and then just the, the the knee that rocked uh, Wheeler enough that uh, it, it, even on commentary they had to say like oh yeah we had to check to make sure he was he was not knocked out after this. I mean I don't I know if I've ever seen Danielson bend somebody's arm as severely as he did in that submission at the end. That like yeah like Wheeler Yuta's entire like face and shoulder like down into the mat and then his arm was like in the back of the frame 
uh, you know, in, in the upper left corner of your television screen. It was crazy. It, it, it's something that like Danielson has this ability to like, just like his, his stuff looks so cool. But then, like, if it's like a special night or it's some someone that's like really up for it, makes it look like the most gross thing ever. And he, I thought he was really sad. I thought I thought he was really successful with that. Yeah, I thought that it was something that like I came away with this. I was like, oh, after like six months, Wheeler, you just hanging around best friends. He has something going on here, and it feels very natural. And I know I said that leading off my response, but it's nice to see things that like it just feels right. Like this is like a the storyline that you like you say that like it's it's been a solid storyline but it's something that like it has breathed and it's something that it does not feel like that they are stringing things out here whereas they have in other storylines like this yeah it's nice to see a story that seems to develop naturally from the characters and from the matches uh instead of seeing a story where you know you see it on the show and you can you can see the the author writing it on the notepad page in the back or whatever. That's just something I do like in, uh, when I watch movies a lot is sometimes I will, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever do this. When you play a video game and you start to see the matrix code and like you can see where all the pieces fit together and you can see exactly, you know, uh, how the systems in the game all come together and it kind of takes some of the magic out of it, right? It's like the same when I watch a movie and then I, I imagine the... <laughs> Uh, the dialogue like on the page as the screenwriter wrote them or whatever. Uh, maybe the worst example of this is uh, what's that fucking Coen brothers movie with Tom Hanks is the Southern guy. The lady killers, the lady killers. Yes. That is a movie where you watch it. And all I could do the entire time was think about Joel and Ethan Coen typing out the preposterous dialogue and like it's sitting on the page. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing of some Coen Brothers stuff that it's like the authorship is so strong that it overrides that. And with the Lady yeah. Killers, that's a remake too. So it's like, let, let me put my spin on this now. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of stuff about uh, uh, race in there and uh, uh, like gospel music versus black music or versus rap music and all this shit. Uh, and you just imagine, you know, Ethan Cohen typing it out or whatever. And you're like, huh, that just feels weird. Um, but yeah, so sometimes AEW storylines kind of feel like that, where we watch them and we see, okay, we can see Tony Khan's beautiful mind coming to bear on this uh, and where he has put his imprint of what he likes on it. Uh, whereas this Blackpool Combat Club thing just feels like a natural expression of these three guys. Uh, it helps having William Regal there because he's the voice on commentary to be like, you know, this is who I am. I'm uh, this is what I value in wrestling. This is why I like these guys. This is my relationship with these guys. And it gives a very sort of clear and natural direction to uh, where they're going with it and, and, and why it's coming to pass this way. So, yeah, the very natural uh, sort of seeming story instead of, you know, feeling like a calculated pro wrestling plot. Yeah, because face and heel, like Danielson still kind of acts like a dick. And Moxley is kind of the, the face he runs the place and they're like teaming up in this way. But instead of really having like the face or heel kind of paradigm here, they're just kind of Moxley, Danielson and Regal. And it just works with them as their own entity. Yeah. I mean, you know, Codyism in a lot of ways was about Cody wanting to do his shades of gray and him just wanting to be Cody in all caps. Uh, and, you know, the the character of the pro wrestling face heel dynamic all coming secondary to the 
grand idea of the Cody character. Um, and really, I mean, Brian Danielson does that better than Cody ever did. And that Brian Danielson hasn't changed his character one uh, iota in this company. He's been, I mean, maybe if you want to separate his like post uh, all out show promo, which was like a shoot promo, basically about joining the company uh, ever since then, he's basically just been the same exact guy. And he was like a face opposite Omega, but then has just been, you know, a heel ever since without changing the character whatsoever. He's just the, the exaggerated guy that he actually is. He's Brian Danielson. He's being real. He feels real. That's why it feels real. That's why it feels natural. Um, and yeah, that's like the, the perfect version of like, you don't have to worry about the face and heel dynamics so much when you have a character like Brian Danielson, who's so, fucking good uh that it just everything else falls into place yeah it's something really kind of magical just like how cody was florida magical realism in play so my elite i've actually i had one written down because it makes the show notes easier for me to just have like a list of them i'm calling an audible nate my elite is the thing i enjoy the most on this show nate are the gun club the gun club are it's something like how Blackful uh, Combat Club, you know, feels so organic. And like, as you were talking here, the Gun Club have found like found like a way to scratch, like in a completely natural way, the Pavlovian itch of these guys are just shitheads. And it's something that in a crowd that, I mean, FTR, other than the Hardys, they went more crazy for them being from Asheville than anything else on this show. But it, 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 and like a weird match that like had like Wardlow being involved with it and the Wardlow thing pulling focus, like to a degree that like I, it, one would ask like, why is this match even happening? Wardlow's here throwing people around at this point. Shouldn't that be enough of a disturbance to stop the match? No, because the gun club still had like goofy stuff to do. And you had Billy Gunn d- just with it. And it, it's something that, yeah, the, their ceiling is always going to be like TV job guys, but they're just, it's something that makes it so enjoyable watching them do this. Like they did this against Jurassic Express as well, that I'm just like sitting here and all I'm like, these guys, like they're not amazing wrestlers, but they are amazing wrestlers. And I've really grown to love them over the last few months. Yeah, I have to disagree with you here, Mike, because I don't think their ceiling is TV job guys. Uh, I think there is a higher ceiling for them. Okay. Not yet necessarily, um, but yeah, I, I I always loved the Gun Club, mostly when they were just the guys at ringside at Daily's Place. I loved the Gun Club. Now I actually love them as a television wrestling act. Um, I have to take a little bit of an L because I was uh, uh, disappointed and upset that they turned the Gun Club heel, you know, in that angle with Paul White. Um because I was Plastic like, angle. yeah, <laughs> um, you know, the, that angle ultimately went nowhere was, you know, I, Paul White was on, uh, I guess the, the dark taping or something tonight. So he's maybe around now, but uh, the angle went nowhere. It was just to turn them with no other meaning or purpose. Uh, but you know, it, it, it was kind of, they were kind of in the Cody verse at that time. So you kind of uh, just have to forget about it. Uh, but they turned out to be great heels too. Um, Last time I think I put over Austin Gunn's look a lot. Uh, his his look is still great, but I also have to put over his pure, yeah, shithead heel charisma. He does, um, you know, like crotch thrusting taunts at a level that we haven't seen since 
I don't know, 98, probably, I would say. I mean, you know, the Young Bucks, that was a key part of their whole act for a while, but they didn't they didn't bring like the same animalistic fervor into it that Austin Gunn brought into it here. Um, and yeah, I mean, they... that's blood right there. That's blood. <laughs> like, the, like yeah, anyone, it is. Yeah, it's a passion that the that the Young Bucks could never happen because it's it's hereditary. That's right. Yeah, the, the Young Bucks did their best, but you know they had Papa Buck's genes, and I don't know that Papa Buck was doing a lot of animalistic crotch thrusting, whereas uh, Billy Gunn, of course, <laughs> we know absolutely was. Uh, and then, you know, Austin Gunn just takes on, you know, he's got the youthful uh, uh, verve as well. Uh, plus, and again, just the whole look. Uh, as Brian pointed out, they're great at bumping and selling and eating shit. You know, they kind of do it in an over-the-top way. Uh, but that's, you know, but not that, that's not a criticism at all. It, it, it's fun because that's the exact kind of heel characters that they are. Uh, and they had a good match with FDR here, I thought. The... The Wardlow angle in the middle of it was awesome as its own thing, uh, but just packaging it in the middle of this match also made me, I think, more excited and just kind of elevated the tension for my enjoyment of the match as a whole. Um, I I don't know. I kind of liked FTR on the show. Uh, I don't know, Aaron. It's a good thing Aaron doesn't have electricity because he's he's not going to be listening in live. Um, but I don't, maybe there's some juice in FTR's faces. Like I didn't. The, the the turn did not make any sense to me really and it's uh, been slow it's a slow turn that they've been talking about like their family for like months yeah. and now it's a thing where like uh they had a good angle with uh with mjf where mjf was talking about family and fdr hair was like you know uh doing a jim Halper jim halpert look at the camera like did he just say we're family uh and they're of course they're halfway friends with Wardlow, so they got that kind of angle to play on they got big reactions in this match um like you were talking about so, I, yeah, I was pretty happy. Uh, FTR Bald's got a great working punch. We were talking about uh, working punches on the Patreon this weekend. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this match. I definitely enjoyed the Gun Club. And I think they're, they're not ready yet to be a, you know, tag team title level team. Um, you know, although I, I don't think they're like, significantly worse workers than Jurassic Express or anything like that. Uh, we just need more time with them, I think, to, you know, fully realize their characters and, and see if there's something else there besides just, you know, shithead comic TV heels. If there's a another level that they can get to that makes them a more, you know, complete rounded act, I think. But yeah, this was another good segment. It's something that, it, the reason why I'm like they'll be great just doing this is because this is something that like yeah no they probably do have that ceiling a little bit higher, but like they could always do this and I think this act always works like they are 80s teen movie like henchmen and they have the the exact countenance of that and there's always a place for that and it's something that I always get happy when like the uh when like the chill wave version of Enio Marconi starts playing I'm like all right or Drody, yeah, their music, Mar- their music rocks. Yeah, I, I, I mean they have big match gear. Oh, they know? have great, great looking gear. I mean Austin's Austin's look is great. They're the they're the heelish prep pricks in the Peanuts cartoon where they have a sailboat race. Oh yeah, yeah. Have uh, you seen that I, one? I don't know why that just came to mind. I I remember it faintly. I can't tell you the last time that I've There's, seen. I have one particular frame of it that stuck out in my mind of like. 
them boarding the boats and it's like Snoopy getting on his little I want to say the is it regatta is that the a regatta race is that appropriate I as someone who only knows of boats through Bravo reality shows I'm going to say yes that is the word Nate regatta okay yeah regatta boat race fucking nailed it okay uh but yeah no they're they're perfect in that and it's gonna be great to see them kind of bloom you know getting the more seasoning for that aaron did submit us his elites or deletes uh let's roll them together uh aaron's elite is the debut of Tony Storm. Tony Storm was the mystery opponent against the Bunny in the qualifying match for the Women's Owen Hart Memorial Tournament. And Aaron's delete is that the power went out right before Tony showed. Yeah, that is, there's an added level of comedy there, I suppose, because uh, if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, like before AEW existed, Aaron was a big Tony Storm fan going way back and then of course he was on uh his joshi podcast where i think he probably talked about tony storm and stardom a lot uh so yes very funny that his power went out immediately before she debuted in this company um but yeah i thought she looked great looked very cool um you know happy to see her land somewhere in wrestling uh because you know she got her release from WWE because she was, I don't know that didn't follow the whole story really, whatever, but uh, I don't know. She was doing some shitty angle with Dewdrop or something and basically just walked out and asked to quit. And they happened to let her in this situation for whatever reason. Is that about right? Yeah. It was like something with that or with like Charlotte. I know, she, I know she walked out and asked for a release and they granted it to her. Whereas yeah. Ollie has asked for his lease, I think, now for like two months and hasn't granted it. Maybe, did she get her face put in cake or something like that? Uh, I, I mean, that I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I imagine that a month does not go by in, in WWE without a cake giggle. True, yeah. Some, yeah. yeah, some things get on somebody's face. Uh, so yeah, nice to see that, you know, uh, uh, she had a much ballyhooed debut on OnlyFans, uh, but nice to see that she hadn't also, you know, lost her love of wrestling or whatever and that she can... Uh, continue to do that uh so yeah that was good i don't i haven't seen i did i did not watch uh a whole lot of stardom really but uh, i saw a couple tony storm matches live at like mania weekends um and yeah i think she's she's probably pretty good probably an overall upgrade to the division here is somebody who can go out and has a ton of experience carrying one-on-one singles matches uh, she got a great reaction, great uh, initial pop when her Tron hit uh, and she came out. Um, thought it was interesting during the ad break, Excalibur was talking about her history and she's like, oh, you know, she's uh, best known for her time of stardom. She's wrestled Jamie Hayter, wrestled Mercedes Martinez, wrestled Rebel. Uh, and then he he mentioned of all of all the people in stardom and a ton of women, you know, have gone through there. She mentioned Io, Mayu. And Kyrie, uh, which maybe, may, yeah, maybe just because they're the three best known from stardom is mm-hmm. maybe probably the easy answer. But thought it was interesting that he shouted them out. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, having Rebel on that list is great too. Yes, that's uh, that's absolutely a, another bonus. Um, I w- that match was probably in stardom, right? Rebel had at least one tour. 
Yeah, I think so. I don't know if Rebel was a member of Wadotai, but like, like it seems like that that's something that they have always liked doing is have the foreign invader heal. That that this sounds like a five star Grand Prix match, to be quite honest. Rebel versus Tony Storm. Although, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Rebel in the Cinderella Princess tournament. That's a thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, or the top rope tournament. It 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 was something that like it's the easy i guess maybe it's lazy that the compare contrast with like how she had felt and ruby uh, soho felt you know nailed, like, i nailed it by the way uh it's literally rebels first match in stardom was okay. the Cinder- cinderella tournament 2017 first round she lost to tony storm ah oh, man the cinderella dreams of rebel fell apart that night that's her her debut was Corquin hall getting thrown over the top rope by tony storm in less than five minutes I love that they have over-the-top eliminations in their singles tournament. It just, it's wild to me. But yeah, no, uh, she looked like an absolute star throughout this. And it is something like seeing, like, being able to walk out and just walk in and be an immediate star. And I was talking with Erin about this this morning. She's someone that, because of that stardom experience, as they're now uh, further developing their uh, relationship with DDT and Tokyo Joshi Pro, Obvious, like there were matches that did not happen in Japan because of stardom in Tokyo Joshi Pro that now can happen with her, and I think that'd be really sick to see as well. It 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 makes a lot of sense, and I know that there was a lot of other buzz around Athena and Nixon Ull as well, and they're already having more matches for the tournament coming up next week. So you know who knows. Uh, the listener elite, uh, you, the way you can become a listener elite on everything elite is you join the Patreon and you go to our channel elite or delete after the show and we will pick one and read one each show. So Aaron Quinn as an elite, AEW is about to use Marina better than Rhonda or Shayna have ever been. Marina Shafir making her debut <laughs> and being the 30th person in uh, uh, Jay Cargill's career. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I mean, I'm sure, I don't think she was really used at all in WWE uh, that I'm aware of. So certainly she'll be used better here, probably in her first match. Uh, you know, kind of an appropriate 30th opponent and follow up opponent for Jade here because, you know, her thing is that she was an MMA star or MMA uh, uh, talent, uh, and you know, has some shoot fighting experience. And this is coming off of Jade, you know, dismissing all of Ty Conti's shoot experience and, and her, you know, judo and karate, etc. Um, so that's fun. Uh, I do like at the end of all these interviews, Jade saying to Tony, Tony, cut the shit. Uh, I didn't even notice that she'd been doing that every single time until this time. Uh, but now it's very over with me uh, and I want people to start yelling along with it. Like they do Mark Henry. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I know I'm, this is like just a, a funny comment from Aaron and I'm applying too much analysis to it. Uh, I mean, Ron is very bad, obviously, but they did kind of successfully, push her in the period of like one year, like from her WrestleMania debut to her WrestleMania day main event. They did probably about as successfully use her as they've successfully used anyone in that company, maybe, um, which, you know, is, is again, maybe not a high bar to clear, but I don't know that I would uh, expect Marina Shafir to be 
main eventing any uh, any dynamites, let alone all outs for this promotion. I I think uh, with uh, Marina doing all of the matches on dark, and then now have like a nice clip roll of her looking like just like the MMA submission machine. I think that that is something that I mean Ronda Rousey kind of has transcended like the whole MMA thing. So so like when she came in, she wasn't really in that role at all. She was Ronda Rousey at that point, and. I can't really speak on Shayna Baszler, to be quite honest. Like, it feels like Shayna's character is more that she's Shayna Baszler and she is mean to me. Like, that's always been what I got out of when I watch her matches on NXT. Yeah, I think I maybe saw her in one women's four-way on an NXT takeover or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I will say she's exceeded my expectations in that I think she's still on television sometimes, and I... You know, uh, I wouldn't have thought Vince would use a woman who's, you know, like an MMA uh, uh, gimmick or, or talent other than Ronda, because like you said, Ronda's kind of transcended that and just became her own thing. Um, so, yeah, that'd be cool if Marina's good. That would be good. She's been fun on Dark. Like, it's been something where, like, she, like, goes and, like, submits someone in 90 seconds so like i mean they've basically mm. have had her be a submission machine and she comes out to i'm not good with classical music but she comes out to like a piano concerto and are they gonna have her uh, uh do the taz to jade cargill's kurt angle to end I the streak s- you know l- like when you build it up this way you kind of have to you know l- like you've made the 30th thing be such a thing but it's something that jade that really shouldn't lose but like they're betraying this scenario. The belt. I mean, she should lose, you know, at some point. But she shouldn't lose the belt yet. Certainly, I don't think. So that's. I mean, it is a title match, right? I, I guess I'm not 100 percent on that. I I assume so. I assume this is going to be a title match. So you're booking this title run, kind of like the Schoolberg run, but you've already kind of have the Kurt Angle, the the Taz Kurt Angle kind of figure portrayed here. So. It'll be interesting. It's it's something that like when I was like watching Dark for this long, I was like, why are they doing with Marina Shafir? Because usually people on Dark that aren't signed don't have an entrance and they job out, but they've booked her incredibly strong. She gets full entrances and it, it feels like a lot of time building someone up to like not beat someone. But at the same time, who knows? We'll see. I think that they build they've built up people who look really strong to lose to champions to begin with so makes sense with me uh nate what's your delete for this week um i delete for this week i was uh trying to find the classical music because it interested me about what she was interesting entering to but i can't i can't tell without listening to it so i guess probably i'll give up on that um what else was on this show I can probably find something to delete. Uh, I mean, first couple matches were fine. I guess, I mean, I might, you could delete the Tesla that Adam Page entered with, but you know, it's kind of old news. We knew about that back in like November, so I don't really care. Um, I don't know. You got a good delete? I mean, it, 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 it's something that I just don't find. Uh, maybe he's been too NXT pilled, but Kyle O'Reilly, now the whole Kyle oh, O'Reilly oh. thing. I disagree. Just, 
Okay, so I think that he was always generally very goofy, but it's just gotten to a point where it's just like, all right, Kyle, you're just showing ass for two minutes saying I have a tummy ache. The champagne backstage made me sick and he just popping down there like a baby. Yeah, that was funny. I liked it. <sighs> that made me laugh. It did. It made me like a chuckle. Although I will say uh, Bobby Fish stepped all over his actual punchline when he first was trying to get out the joke. And Bobby Fish was like, yeah, there you go, Kyle. And totally stepped all over it and, you know, basically ruined the the timing and the pacing of it. Um, you know, the the joke of <laughs> him having something to say, forgetting it, and then uh, uh, being like, oh, I remember it. I drank too much champagne and my tummy hurts is not is not itself super funny, um, but it is very silly. And then him sitting down and putting his head between his knees and then cutting back to that later while Adam Cole was promoing, that actually made me laugh out. It just was something that, like, as soon as they did the celebration, I was like, all right, God. And then they they had the box with five balloons that kind of floated away very pathetically. That was very funny. Like, it would, like if they would have completely gone all in on, we're doing this the most cheap way possible just to be dicks about it. But I don't know. Kyle just pulled me out of it. It just was something that him doing the fetal position afterwards and cutting to it. It was something that I could tell it was a bit. But at the same time, it just was the camera work of like, do they know if, if he's going to be doing something? Is Kyle going to do a puke on national TV for us? Like, that's where I was. I was fearing this was treading. Uh, Nate, I thought this was turning to him, him like puking, getting like punched in the stomach and, and puking because that's what has been on uh, not international TV for the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. I like, I kind of like, I kind of, I don't want to say I like cool Kyle, but I do kind of like silly, goofy Kyle. Um, so I can't agree with you there. Here's what I'll delete. Um, I don't even, like I said, I liked FTR on this show. I, I liked their match. I liked their, you know, kind of segment with MJF. I liked their promo against the young bucks. Really. I thought that was uh, kind of fine. Uh, but I will delete, them and JR and uh, I don't I, somebody else did it too. MJF uh, now trying to put FTR in the conversation of greatest tag teams of all time. That's, I mean, you know, if if you take the perspective that they are very talented, their tag matches that they have had, uh, their featured tag matches that they have had in NXT and now in AEW, if those are your favorite shit ever. If you just think those are the the best matches of the last ten years, we're talking about like less than fifteen matches, just in terms of output, right? Like, I don't know. They had like, uh, 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 if I'm being generous, ten great N- NXT matches, uh, and then they've had I don't, I think probably fewer than ten great AEW matches, even if they're your favorite shit ever. So. It's just a little preposterous to be like, they're the best tag team ever, or even approaching that conversation. You could say, as a in-character pro wrestling thing, they're the best tag team on the planet right now. And, it, and JR is sure to say that on every single show because they're on every single show. Uh, that's that's fine. That's pro wrestling or whatever. Uh, but them saying that they're the best tag team of all time is... You know, it, 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 it begs the question. No, what does it do? It, it demands the correction. 
<laughs> is that hey. a phrase it makes you go oh, okay fucking slow your roll pump your brakes we're taking the gloves off with ftr um <laughs> you're just you're just you're just overstepping you know realism to such a degree that people have to push back against you harder like i'm doing right now so yeah you know even if they're your favorite tag team of the era and they're not mine they don't have the output they don't have the the volume to be in the conversation for greatest ever. I mean, this is a promotion that has their immediate contemporaries uh, and also their contemporaries who were doing high level uh, matches on bigger stages uh, long before we knew who FTR were, uh, you know, in PWG, in Japan, in Dragon Gate, um, the Young Bucks, and you have the, the Hardy Boys of this company. <laughs> so it's like, you know, in terms of the longevity, the Hardy Boys, and, and in terms of volume, I would have to think the Hardy Boys have lapped them thirty-five times. So that's that's my delete. You know, it's the thing—the first time that they had this, that they started—they've been doing this for a long time. That the, there was this one instance that immediately when they came out like this, I was like, "All right, that's it. I'm done. I'm, my gloves are off with them saying the greatest all time." It was one pay-per-view that they came out with jackets that look like old celtics uh warm-up jackets yeah that was for the young bucks match yeah 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 it had stars for the nxt titles the raw tag team titles and the smackdown tag team titles and the AEW tag team titles and i was like really you're having stars for the smackdown and raw tag team titles it wasn't even the nxt run that was like really you're conflating that it was the red belt and blue belt stars that was just like oh come on here I do think about that all the time, and it does annoy me. Um, okay, so most, not... mo- yeah, I mean they're, you know, they're the fake belts, <laughs> and and not just and not just fake in the way that all belts are fake. They're fake in the way that the WWE Hall of Fame is fake. It's like great, yeah, you held a belt that was held by Braun Strowman and a twelve-year-old boy. Great job, you guys are so good. <laughs> like it doesn't mean shit. Sorry, you're in the same Hall of Fame as Queen Charmel. Like, yeah, it's fucking fake, man. <laughs> I mean, whenever anyone's going to bring up that tag team belt for the remainder of time, it is Braun Strowman held it with a 12-year-old. I mean, I don't even... They've probably retired both those tag belts and introduced new ones and then split them up for the brands uh, and then traded them Yeah, probably twice since FDR held them because I think WWE does that basically on a six-month timer. Yeah, they kind of do it incessantly. So, but I mean, that means that the fact that Braun Strowman held a tag team title belt with a twelve-year-old, you can't determine where it ended up, and it's crossed the stream so much as cross-contaminated all tag team divisions within the World Wrestling right. Entertainment. They're all they're all gender weight titles over there. So, you know, don't brag about them. Is I guess is my point or your point? <sighs> yeah, no, I mean gender weight. I mean, as the person who came up with gender weight, I think that's the right way to describe it there. It's my legacy, not only in, in wrestling podcasting, but in life. Hey, you know, gender weight, it, it's such a pleasing thing to say, too. It is. And then I, I think of the the uh, Wrestling Observer front page that was Finn Balor's concussed and bruised face and the headline that just says gender. And I laugh. <laughs> so Aaron's delete. We've already kind of mentioned Aaron was mad about missing Tony Storm's debut in AEW. Because of a power outage, and you know power outages are bad. So, you know, totally with them there. Deletes, uh, w- we've hit a lot of them. To be honest, uh, und- a lot of stuff about undisputed elite. What do you think about undisputed elite as their name? I'm pretty sure way? I pitched that name, so I'm glad Tony took the note. 
Well, are you getting the royalty for it? No, but I, I don't uh, really expect one because I'm I'm pitching on somebody else's intellectual property. Um, so it's kind of a derivative work. So I, I don't really expect the royalty. That's just that just comes to the territory of being a uh, a Chris Jericho influencer. Yeah. You know, at a certain point, you just have to kind of go with it. Uh, listener delete. Uh, I'm going to go with Grinder because a, we, a lot of people really FTR and the Adam Cole stuff. Uh, Grinder, Vicky not knowing how a microphone works. Hmm, I don't think I even registered that really, but sounds right. Yeah, so this was during the Nyla segment where Vicky was like screaming, and you could pick it, and you could hear it like very faintly because some other microphone picked it up, but the microphone wasn't on or like they muted it, so she was just screaming for like this, and then Nyla grabbed the microphone, and you could hear Nyla perfectly fine. I'll shout out uh, Sean. Sean's delete, which was Jim Ross getting horny, horny for Tony Storm's hair, uh, because I tweeted about this also, where Tony Storm came out and Jim Ross goes, "Oh, she's really got a unique hairstyle there, huh, Tony?" And then Tony Schiavone, of course, uh, has n- no fucking response to that. What's he? <laughs> uh, yeah, she sure does, Jim. Like that's just that's just you know you're a top level broadcaster when you. Uh, say something no one can really decode or understand about a woman and everybody's afraid to touch it. And then you throw to another guy who's doubly afraid to touch it. That's funny. Yeah. And and it's something that presupposes the idea that Jim Ross has never seen someone with two different colors of hair in their head at the same time. That's crazy. Oh, wow. So I got to I got to delete for undisputed elite is a unit name in here. So I'm going to have to ban Pat absent from the discord because that is my idea. Pretty sure you can go back to uh uh the debut of kyle o'reilly in this company yeah and we try to figure it out and i think you said undisputed elite and we're like that makes the most sense it's, up it's right here. there yeah and no, now just... sets up their you know feud for the the original article elite for whenever they get around to that yeah and how the bullet club will play into it. apparently this is like a mcu level storyline about the bullet club at least that's right <laughs> <laughs> crisis on infinite bullet clubs uh, yeah no i mean that's what it is i mean we got to make sure who has the right rings with us too you could be careful i mean about that. you know it seems like new japan might be a little bit back so you know maybe if this could be the finale to the bullet club then you know i'm willing to give it a shot as far as having a bullet club intrastable war part five play out across you know at least three different promotions I mean, we're at, we're at a point that we're it's like five or six promotions that they're that they're that they're saying that there's Bullet Club now. So you're going to find a part of wrestling that does not have part of this Bullet Club storyline. I feel like, yeah, love to see with that. So it's going to be tough. Yep, uh, that was a leader delete. Let's move on to the show proper. What else we haven't talked about? So the Colonial Life Arena, Columbia, South Carolina, opened up with CM Punk versus Max Caster. Punk one of the Anaconda Vice, and you know, uh, it, if a sports book would have had this bet, this would have been the one to really bet on. No Colt Cabana reference in the Max Caster rap coming out here. Yeah, no. When it comes to Colt Cabana references in AEW, avoid, avoid, avoid. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it it's just that was may have been in in Punk's contract. It might be like where uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, had in his contract that you couldn't refer to him being bald in WCW. I think Punk might have one of those in his contract. Um, yeah, you know, 
whatever as far as the match punk is is pretty reliable now uh but you know they advance this thing where punk is actually one to get into the world title picture which i think is kind of uh kind of exciting and cool maybe um yeah honestly i i kind of think the crowd should be hotter for it really for this guy to be who's like you know really the biggest star in your company to be like hey you know that other big star with the title i want a piece of that Right. It, it's something where like the crowd let Punk down. So in the post-match, uh, Punk said, everyone knows that Jester means Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone came out to the ring doing a post-match interview and referring to the belt gesture. Punk really wanted a next world champ chant. Like you could tell like he, he wanted like that instead of a CM Punk chant. This crowd wasn't wanting this. Uh, CM Punk said then that after uh we see if it's going to be a cowboy or some or adam cole baby i want next and you know i like the idea of it's like yeah no punk should get a title shot i mean his only loss was a dirty pinfall that he lost to mjf like he has as much of a claim about it for everyone he has like big ones of course he should be in consideration and should be up there and i thought that this that that's something about tonight's show it felt a lot of the show i felt like felt pretty organic like this felt like a nice thing in the background to keep the idea of okay adam cole and hangman they are still at odds but now we know that there is a bigger boss presence looming afterwards i think that's pretty good i also kind of just like the layout where these first couple matches have stars in them but i don't necessarily really have to be in super invested in uh uh the competitiveness of it or the story of it because it's not really in doubt it's just kind of like hey Here's our big stars. They're going to get big wins. Um, you know, we're, we're going to keep protecting and uh, enhancing our stars uh, while giving a guy like uh, Caster some some reps and a chance to shine on his promo. Um, and that's just, you know, I don't super get enthusiastic about when they put a big featured match on as the first match in the show. That annoys me a lot of the time. Uh, so this is more like a traditional card order where you kind of build up to the big exciting stuff. Yeah, and if you like look at the three men singles match before that main event at, in like a vacuum, you have Caster who like had his moments, but he but never really had doubt that he was going to win this match later on. Never bought that Jay Lethal was ever beat Moxley, but then you have Wheeler Yuta like getting deep crowd like two counts like reactions off of that like it's in the same way building up for like that reaction across the three <laughs> matches that maybe this underdog will get the win over the established name. I do think it's funny that Tony booked Jay Lethal and Wheeler Yuta in big featured matches on the Ring of Honor pay-per-view and then beat both of them two days before on his television. I mean, Tony lately seems like that he's he has a lot of plates he's trying to spin right now. Some are starting to wobble. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of jobs. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that was a good, I mean, hey, I, I, I'm not going to be mad if he's gonna do a you know aw is the superior brand and ring of honor is kind of our underneath brand that's fine if that's kind of his intent uh but it is i guess i guess a ring of honor you know pay-per-view at this point it's not like you're pushing it to people like hey you know jay lethal is one of the real best wrestlers in the world he's a big star you know you're pushing it to people who are like wrestling work rate nerds or whatever so i maybe it doesn't matter but it was amusing yeah it, it's something that like also 
having like Josh Woods like being built up on like dark and not like reaching TV, but then you have his his challenger lose to Brian Danielson. You're like, oh, that's how you really kind of feel about the title in this aspect. <laughs> like the guy he's supposed to be facing in two days is getting his ass kicked. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. Like I, I noticed later on with Thunder Rosa, they mess up the Chiron. This is just like a dumb thing, but they mess up the lower third saying that she won at Revolution and not at her hometown in San Antonio, which I thought was kind of like the plates are starting to wobble a little bit. Um, well, hope, hopefully Tony's not responsible for that, too. Yeah. I mean, he, he has a lot of jobs. Maybe yeah, I was going to say, he, if he's if he's typing out the Chirons, he's doing too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something where, like, delegate, man, at that point. Uh, after that, we had MJF, FTR, and Mark Sterling. Mark Sterling remains in canon as MJF's uh, attorney. Uh, as, like, the show started, something that people noticed over the uh, the front row, there were signs saying that they're basically saying Warlow is banned from the arena. He is banned from this. And MJF is trying to uh, force everyone to not acknowledge the fact that Warlow exists. We're reminded that Pinnacle exists and FDR was gaslit about MJF claiming that their friend said bad things about them to MJF. Do you think these posters were inspired by the uh, poster at the WWE Hall of Fame saying that Scott Steiner was not allowed on the premises? I mean, that thought crossed my mind. And I feel like it crossed everyone who is aware of that sign. Like it, it, it feels like so much like, like ribbing on the square right there. So after that, we had John Moxley versus Jay Lethal. John Moxley won with a sudden paradigm shift. Uh, the big thing before the match, Jay Lethal tried to uphold the code of honor. John Moxley refused it, and then in the post match, he shook out his hand, and then Jay Lethal shook his hand. Yeah, I thought this was uh, exceeded my expectations, I think. Um, you know, Jay Lethal is not especially, like, flashy or uh, exciting. But, you know, the guy is over. He gets good reactions. Has gotten good reactions here really since day one when he showed up. Uh, and crowd got into this match. Even got, you know, it may have been one of the softest This Is Awesome chants I've ever heard, but they did get a This Is Awesome chant. Um. Tony and made then, yeah. sure we all knew about the This Is Awesome <laughs> right, fan. He did. Tony pointed it out on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, it did. It, it really got uh, got to be a pretty hot match by the end of it here. Uh, and then the handshake after the fact, Lethal is still doing this thing where he's, you know, selling that he's stressed about losing and he's uh, commentary put over that this is a guy who's not used to losing. This is a guy who was on top in Ring of Honor for so long. Uh and hey, Lethal has a pretty good facial as far as looking like he's, you know, upset and stressed about it. So that that all seemed pretty successful to me. Yeah, for some reason, he's always been able to portray crestfallen incredibly well. And that's kind of the uh, adjective. Yeah, I got that's a good word for it. Yeah, it was one of those vocabulary words you have before the PSAT that sticks with you throughout yeah. the years. Crestfallen. The, crestfallen. Uh, we don't have Aaron's joke of the day. That's Mike's word of the day. Crestfallen. Let's go with that. Uh, after that, we had the Marina Shafir preview package, her beating up people on Dark, saying that she was coming. Little do we know that she'd be here sooner rather than later. FTR versus Gun Club was next. Uh, the Wardlow uh, breaking through the crowd, power among people onto popcorn happened in the middle of this until it took another just horde of security guards to to hold him down. He did get to throw facade down a pair of steps, which, you know, for me personally, the, 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 that, that popped me a little bit. Uh, the finish was the big red at, out of a goofy 
uh, leapfrog kind of situation and FTR in the ring as MGF was trying to celebrate with them. They were unhappy. Yeah, so we talked about the match, really, but the Wardlow angle was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he got a big reaction as soon as they showed him entering the arena backstage or on the concourse. Uh, and then he ran through like three security guards there. I especially liked one of the security guards. Uh, you know, he got down into the powerbomb position. And then with the guy in powerbomb position, he took like four steps toward the table, which is just the funny thing to do. Like, you're breaking, <laughs> into, yeah, you're, you're breaking into an arena and you've got a guy between your legs and you're like walking with him. Um, that was just a, a funny display of power by the Baba Yaga of AEW. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about how they do running through security guys angles on every single show recently. Um, but now with this and with this being the second show where Wardlow has actually been overwhelmed by the amount of security, uh, you know, we must be building to something in here. We have to be building to the big moment when, Wardlow, you know, has 30 security guys on him and throws all of them off uh, or something like that. I don't know if that's, you know, does like the the no more BS Paul White spot or Mark Henry spot or something like that and just has 30 guys flying in every direction. I don't know if that's exactly the direction that they should go with it, but I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to see how they can show Wardlow overcoming, you know, the, just the pure mass of security guards that they've been throwing at him week after week. Yeah. And it has to be a comical explosion. It has to be like an anime, like spirit bomb, just yes. exploding Th- outwards. That would be good. If, if maybe like 30 security guards did like a Voltron and became one giant security guard and then Wardlow power bombed that, that would be a good escalation for me. Uh, I'm, I'm still thinking about, you know, some ideas. I mean, they've got a couple more weeks of this before they have to have the result here. So I, I would say they have time, you know. It should be something like like literally it takes like eight of them to lift them up or like 12 of them. Like it, it, like they should get like borderline comical. Like I, I forget where they are next week, but they should go to whoever it is and just tell what, everyone at a local indie. They're in Boston. Get everyone from Limitless there and say, like, all right. We're circling the ring, and all of you have to hold down Wardlow. Like you, you still have a couple more steps before he has to explode. I think. Mm-hmm. After that, we had the Jericho appreciate. Oh no, we had uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Keith Lee in a promo package hyping their match on a rampage. I I did pull my Keith Lee quote of the night. He did say that he commends Powerhouse Hobbs for his bravery. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, after that, Jericho Appreciation Society backstage, Daniel Garcia had a Kangol hat on, which is very important. Uh, after this, they, they had uh, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Ange make jokes about, oh, Satan Ortiz and Eddie Kingston are not going to be here. They're not here. They're not here. Surprise, they were here. They brawled all the way out to the crowd. Initially, it was uh, Santana, Eddie, and Ortiz taking the upper hand, but numbers game. And then later, Jericho Appreciation Society brutally beat down the three baby faces for a long time. Yeah, uh, I liked how long it was because usually all of these attack angles are so quick and so frequent that they're just like, you know, they have the weight of an impact angle. And you're like, yeah, okay, man. One guy attacks the other. Uh, so they actually gave this enough time where we got some detail to it. Uh, you know, they got to milk it for a little bit and whip Eddie a few times. So that was good. Uh, I do think they needed one more week of 
checking behind the curtains. Like that's the, you know, you do it, you do it twice and then you subvert it on the third one. And this one, you know, they looked behind the curtains last week and then they looked behind the curtains this week and there they were. So, uh, jump the gun on that a little bit. Um, but this, this was fun. Jericho appreciation society is fun. Uh, Garcia, uh, is such an amusing weirdo to me. Um, and leaning into this sports entertainer thing in a way I'm really enjoying. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp says that GFY actually works now, uh, which is funny because it doesn't, it, it's not good. It works because it's very bad. Yes. But I don't think that's what he means. Um, and oh, I also like that all of these guys' looks and aesthetics are on totally different pages. Like Garcia and Cool Hand Ange are like kind of simpatico, right? Like they both kind of look like old timey newsies or something. And right. Ange has got the suspenders. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the early '90s boy band inspired by newsies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a strong aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, Jericho is going like. Uh, like sleek sexy joker now uh, he's got like his leather purple joker thing going on i uh, i don't think it's joker i think he's going for uh what's the guy's name carl lentz like like high beast preacher look i don't know who that is uh but it's purple so i went with joker um jake hager is like he's in crazy shape now for mma i presume uh like he his length reminds me of like Anderson Silver or something like he's so long and lanky all of a sudden. Uh, and then, uh, as I think Andrew T rich said on Twitter, uh, daddy magic looks like a member of Rapongi three K all of a sudden transported here out of time. Uh, and he honestly, what I'm combining his tweet with, uh, with Mikey Ruckus now, he looks like if Pete gas joined Rapongi three K, uh, and none of the, none of these guys are look like they're on the same stable. And I enjoy that. Yeah, they all look insane in completely different ways, and it is very fun. It, it It's just the energy that Daniel Garcia exudes while wearing a backwards angle is just, it just makes it. They look insane. They look insane. They really do. After that, we had Jade with uh, Mark Sterling backstage. They're doing all the prep for the 30th match in Jade Cargill's career at the celebration. Jade said this batty situation has been situated. Mark says, all right, we got two plans here. We have plan A or plan B. And, and Jade was like, all right, give me plan A. And it was Leva Bates. But Jade was pissed and says, drop the shit. Uh, who do you really have? Mark reveal is Marina Shafir and and it didn't really bother Jade whatsoever, but she made sure to tell Tony Schiavone to cut the shit. After that, we had Brian Danielson versus Wheeler Yuta. Danielson won with the uh, Basaiku knee kick, uh, stomps, Gotch style pile driver. Some people thought there were too many pile drivers on this show. I think there were not enough pile drivers. Just 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 do more. I, I think, think I noticed one. I mean, like, they happened, him, but they weren't, like, such a thing. Like, the gutch style was a big one. But, yeah, and yeah. that's, you know, uh, I like Danielson kind of adopting that from Moxley, who adopted that from Suzuki. That's a nice little right. thread. Yeah, no, it was neat. So, after that, we had Darby and Andrade. This was all stuff from Road 2, Nate. So, they were using stuff. And this was the best part from Road 2. But I thought Darby cut a hell of a babyface promo here. Yeah, honestly, all these, like... They also do these, you know, right after post-match promos a lot with guys where they'll follow them with the handheld right after the match and get their get their kind of intense thoughts and something. And those are honestly like 
most of the best promos in this company, I feel like, and they occasionally make television. Um, but I think would they'd be better than a lot of the, you know, kind of overly pre-written, you know, uh, uh, promos that are their bread and butter. I don't mean like pre-written, like they come from writers or whatever, but pre-written, like we're going to hear from the Jericho Appreciation Society. And then they go and lay out all these, uh, uh, you know, big promos. Sure. And I'm not even necessarily criticizing that. I'm just saying the the heat of the moment ones are just always more real because they are, you know, somewhat real. Yeah, and it's something that felt like, in a way, tied a bow to this feud that like this felt like it was like an encapsulation of everything with Darby and Andrade over the last few months. So that was pretty rad. Uh, after that, we had the undisputed elite segment. Uh, we went through most of this. Uh, however, the ending of the segment was. Uh, Adam Cole cutting a promo, then him and Paige coming out in his Longhorn Tesla. He beat down everyone. They try to run away scared, but then Jurassic Express and uh, and Christian Cage came out. They fought them all off. They numbered games them back, and they got all their belts back. Yeah, you know, the baby faces here getting their belts back was all, like, whatever. Um, but I did Adam Cole and Red Dragon also being silly and, like, taking these belts. And then if you didn't see it on Twitter, Adam Cole took it onto a morning television show with the belt and acted like it was actually his. So that's very fun. Um, the soda city morning show. It's one of the best for sure. The, they really like because of cola, like when the abbreviations for Columbia was cola, then soda city, like they, they've really kind of made it into their thing mm. as of late. Okay. I, I don't know if there is actually any, uh, carbonated beverages that have come out of Colombia, though. So, you know, if it could just be playing on the name, could be real. Got to figure this out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we had Thunder Rosa. She finally got to do her champions promo from last week that was interrupted by Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. This time, she talked about how she wants to be the leader of the industry. There's a lot of people that she wants to face now. A lot of mentions, and she says that she wants to be the foundation of wrestling foundation do you think that she was kind of gunning for uh Rhett titus of course member of the foundation <laughs> uh no i didn't make that connection uh but she did contrast how foundations remain standing whereas pillars fall down and of course Britt was trying to uh be one of the four pillars of aew so i like that line i thought this was good um yeah a, a crowd reacted pretty well um got in that nice little shot at Britt. uh this was i think somebody had mentioned that the segment with her, th this promo by her, and then Nyla's promo, that should have been on the show last week, and then the, the angle they ran last week should have been on this show, and that would have made this all make much more sense, I think. Yeah, no, this is something that, you know, after the fact, like, okay, that's tied together, but it's all out of order, so I'm, I'm with you on that. FTR, they're going for championships. They want the ROH and the AEW titles, and they also challenge the Young Bucks, so maybe they're just looking to put more stars onto that jacket of theirs. Nate. Yeah, hey, they can have all these tag titles they want. You know, they can have the AA AAA titles, they can have the ROH titles. Um, but I reject them having the greatest tag team of all time title. Yeah, I mean, you're saying this in the Carolinas too. Like you're trying to be pseudo baby faces, but you're saying that in a place that still views the Hardys, as we'll talk about later, as modern day gods. Like that th that's a heelish thing to do here. Think about where you are. Uh, we had, uh, you had something about saying it? No. Okay. You looked like you were, uh, we had the Owens. I was sniffing my hand towel. 
Okay, that's where I was. Uh, you pulled the hand towel away, and I thought that meant that you were going to say something. Well, uh, I was trying to see if it was dirty. Ah, well, I mean, that that's important, too. <laughs> we had the Bunny and Tony Storm. This was the Owens qualifier match. Uh, Tony Storm, one of strong zero. Uh, this is the first time I got, I got to see Tony in a couple of years. I thought Tony looked good here. I know we talked about her earlier, but came off like an absolute star. Yeah, so it was pretty good. Don't really have anything to say about the match. Um, you know, went through the commercial like all the women's matches do. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Tony kept it together, I think. She's got a couple of good-looking spots. Um, JR seemed really thrown off by her uh, headbutt spot that she does. Uh, she's like, oh, that was unique. Um, yeah, you know, she hits like... Uh, there's a couple of those spots that... that, that women do and just look especially good there's like uh you know the 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 pumping kick the bicycle kick the thrust kick um all those stuff when you can land those and make them look good they go a long way yeah no it, it's something that i feel like that the things she does are kind of different and complementary in the same time that i think will work really well against like ty and like anna jay so you know it looks good uh after that we had Vicky with Nyla, this was the uh, Vicky. Yeah, the uh, I also just want to shout out the they opened the match with her just doing a big elbow strike and Bunny bumping for it like it was you know the hardest shot or whatever, um, which didn't really get the big reaction they wanted, I don't think. But I did like it as an idea um, to be like, yeah, I'm Tony Storm, I'm here to kick ass now, and now I'm gonna you know nail this woman with a elbow strike that nobody else is laying in like me. Um, so yeah, I like I like that as an idea. Yeah, she looked like an absolute badass coming out. It, it was sick. So the Vicky and Nyla segment, I uh, can make out anything that Vicky said. Nyla called her thundered, thundered Rosa. And she said that, well, you're a foundation. I'm the cornerstone and abracadabra bit. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is uh, uh, proof of the pudding. No, that's not a good one. This is proof positive. This is proof positive that Nyla does not need Vicky at all because Nyla carried this and Vicky added nothing. Yeah, I mean, literally, you cannot hear a single word <laughs> Vicky said. <Yeah. laughs> and then Nyla did just the entire promo herself. She's day uh, one. She did, she did the thing where she yells and yells bitch, and that's always good. Yeah, it's a complete thing. Vicky just adds nothing. Uh, main event, Andrade El Idolo versus Darby Allen. Uh, Andrade won with the Brillante driver into the into El Idolo. Really sick finishing stretch, and you know, big one for Andrade. You you mentioned on Twitter that Andrade really needed this one. Yeah, Andrade has been showing up and delivering in all these matches uh, after you know, like a, a rough start in this company a little bit, uh, but has been the guy like eating pinfalls in this story. Really, in that trios match with Sammy and Darby, he ate the pin. Um, so he really, you know, he's been featured in this feud with the Hardy family office or whatever, but has not really been a legitimate guy as far as, you know, getting important win. I, you know, I think he lost what they do a draw with pack and then he lost to pack. Does that sound right? Right. Because that was the one that was originally going to be at all out, but then it got moved for right. some medical reasons. So yeah, he's, you know, I mean, he looks like a star. He's a great wrestler. Uh, him sing with Jose is very fun. Um, maybe the thing with the Andrade family office will, will come together and kind of gel a little bit, but he wasn't beating anybody basically at all. So he definitely needed a win. 
Uh, and yeah, these guys, you know, Darby is like, okay, well, yeah, if you're going to beat me, then you're going to beat the shit out of me first. Uh, and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, you know, put over the fact that you had to kill me to keep me down. Um, so it started off with them doing, you know, kind of the, the beat up before the bell kind of thing. And they went hard with that, throwing Darby into a bunch of shit, throwing him over the table, uh, doing a six spot with him onto the stairs on their side and doing like a launched kind of snake eyes thing onto that. He did another one of those onto the apron of the ring. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he beat the crap out of Darby through this match. Uh, and Darby, you know, continues to be super over. I, I, I do from the beginning, like Andrade kind of needs to win here, but then I was still by the end of it. I'm like, you know what? Darby is such a star. I wouldn't even be mad if he won. I would be like, yeah, you know, be, he's the hot hand. He's the over guy, you know, protect your stars would have been fine with me. Um, but yeah, you know, a little bit of a heel interference finish, which they used to death. Uh, but they, didn't get actually involved with the match. So it's a little bit of a cheat, uh, but it was certainly a good match. I think. Yeah. It, it's something where like, I feel like with the Andrade family office, you kind of have to consign yourself to the fact that you're going to, everyone's going to get involved one fashion or another here. Uh, I just like the fact that w- with these two guys, it was worked in a way that Andrade obviously like like he made like the tweet this week about putting on muscle like this and just like powering through Darby, but Darby's like hope spots looking incredibly vicious as well. Like yeah. the uh, like the Sun Dog, like that was like some of like the Andrade made that look like it was devastating, and then just like the uh, slap fight where they were just like really just pieing off yeah. on each other, like just the little things that made Darby look like an absolute star and. I think like the biggest move that really did this was like that over rotated crucifix bomb that kind of turned into an arm drag that just looked like it was brutal as hell. And it moved into an arm bar for like everything, all the chaos really broke out because of that move. And, you know, Darby getting his ass kicked, he still kept his heat just doing awesome thing. Yeah. And that's what we've talked about with Darby a lot is that, you know, he's a lot smaller than Darby. I mean, he's a lot smaller than Andrade, especially because Andrade is even bigger now. Um, but he never, uh, well, I guess I'll say the slap, the slap fight was pretty sick, but it was maybe the first time in a long time at a Derby match where I was like, Oh, this, this kind of a little bit exposes that Darby's considerably smaller than Andrade. Cause he just, his slaps do not land with the same force and with the same visual effect when he's hitting Andrade, who's, you know, uh, looks like he's made out of iron or something. Uh, so when he's, when he's like, you know, supposed to be beating Andrade down with the slaps, that's maybe the first time in years on a, on a Derby match where I've been like, oh, this, this a little bit doesn't, uh, this is not him using his smaller size to his advantage, which is what he usually does. Like that top rope crucifix bomb, which looked awesome, got a huge reaction and also makes total sense for Darby and this as the smaller underdog guy against this giant, uh, you know, made of steel luchador. Um, so yeah, but then <laughs> the, the slap fight ended up being sick. And then, uh, Andrade slap at the end of it was very effective. Um, so yeah, this was, uh, you know, I think this, I, this, I think was probably the best, match on the show but uh you know i just enjoyed the the wheeler you to one a little bit more for for 
how much they've achieved with him in that story. Yeah, no, I mean, this probably was the best match. Just the gun club tickled me in this special way. This was exactly what this feud needed, and this, like, deserved every minute of the time spent built up to it. So I thought that that worked really well. In the post-match, the AFO beat down Darby and Sting until the uh, South Carolina's, well, not their native sons, but the Carolina's native, native sons, the Hardys came out, got the loudest pop of the night, beat down everyone until Jeff Hardy went off air with the world's roughest swanton bomb on Mark Quint. Yeah, this time it wasn't, it was more like his his ass really came down on Mark Quinn rather than the like middle of his torso, which is what he did last time. So I think that's probably a little bit easier for Mark Quinn, maybe. Uh, but yeah, great pop, you know, had to have him out here to, to save the faces. Um, and yeah, a tables match next with Butcher and the Blade, which is a fun, you know, tables matches. I honestly don't think we see enough because, uh, you can you can kind of work them in an interesting way because there's a, a new and interesting win condition where you have to put somebody through a table and that allows you to do, you know, some new tension and, and do some new spots where uh, there's more of a more of a risk of elimination um, that kind of heightens the tension. Uh, and also, you know, it's not like a I mean, I would be. I would not be at all surprised if ladders got involved, but it's not like a ladder match where you have to do these uh, uh, crazy big spots and bumps and shit all the time. It's like you go through a table, you know, you've got something breaking your fall and, and you can do table spots like off the apron. And it's a considerably less big bump than doing a ladder, you know, dive, uh, uh, from 15 feet. So that's, uh, that's, I think a good next match for this feud to kind of continue. And I would like to see, or I, I hope that the butcher and the blade show up in a big way because they're a fun act. Everybody is, high on the butcher and wants to see uh, the butcher, you know, continue to break out. Uh, and last time or the last couple times butcher and the blade have been in one of these plunder, you know, kind of uh, uh, brawl matches they've delivered in a pretty big way. So yeah, I hope that's good. Yeah. And like the whole like ladder versus table thing, they, like the one thing that like when you said like it introduces something of this, a ladder match is more restrictive in a lot of ways because all the spots like the ladder, either jumping off of it or you're doing stuff onto it, like, or you have the seesaw that busts open someone's face. Like you don't really have that much there. Although with the tail table, like you do have the added stakes of accidentally going through the table, pulling a Seamus John Cena, but you also have the fact that a lot of wrestling can be adapted to the table and it just adds more things to the match. Whereas a ladder match, there's really not much you can do of a ladder, Nate. You really can't. Right. Well, that is, you know, the risk of them accidentally going through the table is also like, you know, heightens the tension because like, oh, are, you know, are they going to fall off here? And uh, so that it can be exciting in that way, too. Yeah. So I think we're pro tables podcast. Yes. Pro table. It's your lucky day table in the discord. <laughs> it's your lucky day. This show is for you. Uh, if you want to be a member of the Discord, the way you do that is you go to patreon.com slash everything elite. We have three tiers there, three, five, and eight. Three gets you weekly AEW Light, which is our Wednesday pregame show where Aaron and I preview the Knights Dynamite and then review uh, Elevation Dark and if there is a road to for this weekend. With $5, you get all the audio content we do. You get access to the Discord. We put out... Jeez, this week, this month we put out shows for 
Revolution. We did the Revolution Instant Reaction Show, which with $5, you're able to subscribe and listen to that live. And with eight, every show, every everything elite and some world tours, you get the live stream too, so you can listen to it before everyone else. And we are entirely patron-supported, so if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash everything elite this week on a world tour aaron and a guest i don't know who aaron's having on yeah assuming that he and his guest both have electricity right um, yeah we'll have aaron and a surprise guest i wonder yeah. if he would have teased who his guest he does tend to tease he does um who the guest will be which is very funny because i don't know <laughs> you know we we've had some good guests but it's not like we're having uh lewis hamilton come on the show it's, it's like oh we've got a big guest coming up uh, it's like yeah in the world of wrestling podcasting sure <laughs> it's teases always amuse me so yeah uh you heard it here first aaron and lewis hamilton this week hey i mean lewis is gonna have a lot of talk about after his last week in saudi arabia so i mean and aaron you know coming back from egypt i mean like they talk about their travels yeah we're gonna ask or aaron's gonna ask lewis about uh the lucha brothers entrance on veterans day and uh all the troops getting hit by a missile there and how that related to lewis's experience with missile strikes uh it'll be it'll be newsworthy yeah so the way you listen to that is go to patreon.com slash everything elite on rampage aaron and lewis hamilton will be talking about the young bucks versus top flight house of black versus uh dark orders evil uno sue grayson and then fuego del sol a heart tournament qualifying match jimmy hater versus sky blue and then and then powerhouse hobbs versus keith lee and we'll have words from american top team including dan lambert scorpio sky and Paige van zandt and the first word since Chris Stat has gone spooky. Oh boy! Yeah, I mean, she has new face paint and hair color now. She's sp- she's spooky, Chris Stat. On for what we know for Dynamite next week, we're gonna have the first men's qualifier for the Owen tournament, and then the tables match that Nate spoke of earlier. Yep. And that, unless you got anything else, Nate, I, that's all I got here tonight. No, that's all I got. Yeah, I want to get back and play some Kaido files. So that's all right. Best of luck with your Kaido files. Um, Thank you. I hope you can solve the Kaido case. It, it's looking pretty promising to begin. It looks like that it's going to surprise you, but someone's hiring a detective to look into something about a missing person. Is there like, uh, is there like variability in judgment in terms of like, can you have degrees of success in? It's like a detective thing, right? It's yak. It's yakuza beat him up fighting, but like a, right. he plays a detective. Yeah, I mean, like basically, there's a lot of stealth because you're because you are tailing people. There's like you, you go into a lot of like the same mini game, but you're either listening or looking for clues, you know. And when you interrogate someone, you have to bring up like the evidence when you're like presenting your case there. And if you're hmm. don't present the right evidence, they will throw you back out. So it's not like you have like a success or like a medial success is not like it's like okay you could have gotten this verdict like you actually don't go to trial you investigate but you present enough for your the lawyers that you're working for to continue with their charge or continue with their defense okay so there's not like a i'm i i'm trying to think of other i guess uh did you ever play heavy rain by david cage the auteur i I think I got it off of one of the PS Plus free games, but it sat in like my library, never touched okay. it. So that had a good that 
that was you know a a walking sim adventure game type thing where you had a detective character and it's like oh if you find all the clues and put together the clues and you know succeed in the quick time events or whatever then you can identify the right killer or if you mess this thing up you can have a choice of identifying the right killer or the wrong killer or if you you know uh, uh do all these things in a weird backwards way then you can identify yourself as the killer and get uh, arrested or something um so I thought that was good. But then I, I also kind of suspect that it was like the L.A. Noir game, which I absolutely hated in terms of its interrogations. And it's like forcing you into bad detective choices in order to serve this larger story, which really annoyed me. L- looking at CG scans to see if something is up with them, like interrogations. Yeah. L.A. Noir, man. Yeah. No, you're on the rails for everything. It's okay. just. Yeah, like like they don't want to get too far away from the uh, uh, the, the RGG bread and butter. Right. Them. Yeah, I just the the L.A. Noir thing where it's like, yeah, no, you can you can fail this case and keep playing, but there's this other one where it like forces you to fail a case, but then because it ties into larger plot, and it was like, I am so annoyed. You're not motivating me to solve any of these cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just like the beat 'em up games. So okay. Yeah, I was more focusing on that. But I think that's going to do it. You can follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. If you want an easy way to find everything where we're at, go to Linktree slash EverythingAEW. I'm at Fujiheya. Nate's at Epidesis. Aaron is without power and is at Aaron like the car. That's it for Everything Elite. So for Nate, for Aaron, I'm Mike. We'll catch you next week. Okay.